The following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. True crime uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus. Show. Oh, stop it already with that. Come on now, get it right. Welcome to True Crime Uncensored. Ron Francel. You know, as you know, I've been on the show for, you know, a lot of years now, and it seems like every time one of these comes out, we talk, and uh, I've done... Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Texas, Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C., and others. Uh, L.A. Do you think Los Angeles is more crime than other places? I don't think it's worse. I think it is simply uh, seems to be more prolific. I, I don't. I don't think the crimes are worse. I think partly because well, what? a number of entertainment-related crimes in there. And one of the chapters in the book is just about entertainment-related. And it surrounds the death of the the great uh, sort of country rocker, one of the seminal players in that genre, a guy named Graham Parsons. Oh, and, I knew Graham Parsons. Okay, well, then you know that uh, Graham dies of a drug overdose out in, right. in Joshua Tree. Um, and it had always been part of his wish to to be uh, cremated out there in the, the National Monument. And um, uh, his body was being shipped home to uh, Louisiana when his road mm-hmm. manager, named Phil Kaufman, and doused Graham Parsons' corpse with, with gasoline and lit it on fire. Uh, Ooh, yep, I remember that. One of the great, one of the great events in rock history. The, the the crime happens not with stealing a body, which apparently is legal in the state of California. It's legal to with, steal a body. With dousing it with gas and setting it on fire was was an indignity to a corpse, and and I think a misdemeanor at that. Uh, oh God, it's a traffic ticket. It's just well, my my crime, my crime against Graham Parsons, or maybe it wasn't a crime. We were together at the uh, rock festival. Uh, I think it was Sky River Two, and uh, someone had politely given me what they called dupe checks revenge, which was a form of LSD <laughs> that was on a blotter, uh, a little piece of cellophane, and uh-huh. I wound up under underneath the stage. Uh, altered, hallucinating wildly, when all of a sudden there's someone standing over me saying, the the, uh, uh, Flying Burrito Brothers are going to go on, and Graham wants you to introduce them. (laughs) So I walk up 180,000 feet straight up in the air on the basic stairs that go up to the stage, which is a double-wide stage, so you could have one band sitting up, all the other ones playing, whatever the hell it was. And so I managed to make it to the stage. I go, ladies and gentlemen, Flying Burrito Brothers. And Graham's at the piano, and he starts playing Christine's tune or something. And instead of leaving the stage, I walked over and leaned against the piano, smiling at him, and stayed there for the entire set. <laughs> My God. And yet you're still here, and he isn't. Yeah, and that's not fair, is it? No, is it he doesn't. Hell of a lot more talent than than I do. He's a hell of a nice guy. Strange thing, I don't know what his metabolism was, but Graham Parsons could consume massive quantities of strange chemicals 
of unknown origin, and you could never perceive any change in his demeanor, the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he conversed. There was, it was always the same. So I could, either he was immune to it or his body adapted to it. I'd never seen anything like it. He wasn't, wasn't a big, you know, like huge guy. You know, yeah, right. Slender, uh, built about like me. And yet there was just this incredible consistency, and he was always such a nice guy. Incredibly and that's what nice guy. And that's what everybody says. And uh, I talked to Phil Kaufman preparing this book, and I, I wanted to go to the exact spot where the cremation happens. And ultimately did. Yeah. But uh, when I asked Phil Kaufman, um, you know, can you tell me exactly where this happened? He says, you know, man, I says, it, it was really drunk out that night. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, but see, that was a strange thing. I can remember being with Graham when he he was drinking large amounts of uh, of alcohol and other chemicals, and I kept waiting to see the brain change, to see him get drunk or abusive or rude or slur, and I never saw any difference. So I mean, you know, God only that, knows why. That's uh, one of the interesting things that I've noticed in in all of these books, but. It will be true in in L.A. too. Is that we tell these stories, and there are, you know, literally hundreds in there. Um, I just told one, and you have a a recollection. You have a story of your own to tell, and I think that the reader going through these books, these outlaw books, and maybe especially in L.A., will have some memory, whether it's about the death of Graham Parsons or Bob Crane. Or you know uh, the SLA shootout or something. There'll, there'll be some recognition, and people will. Well, yeah. In fact, uh, you're so correct about that. We were talking. Uh, I think maybe it was with Don Schiller about John Holmes and the Wonderland murders. Oh, sure, that's in there. And and uh, uh, and it was either Howard or Don Waldman. What was I can't remember who lived right or like around the corner from all this. And, right. Uh, they say, you know, you can go anywhere in the world, and you're going to bump into somebody you know, which is true. Sure. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, is strange, I, but true. Well, and, and I think uh, that's the Kevin Bacon is not in this book, but we could maybe connect all the stories in this book to Kevin Bacon by six degrees. You know, well, and, sure. uh, I think you're right. I think everybody has. A connection, and sometimes it's just a recollection. Uh, I was talking to my father-in-law one day, and I mentioned Bob Crane, who of course is in this book, uh, and he had some uh, heartfelt recollection about watching Hogan's Heroes and what is sort of the kind of person that he believed Bob Crane to be, which was based on Colonel Hogan more than on Bob Crane. But yeah. I, I think that's one of the beauties of this, and um, it, it's it's fascinating to me because we're telling a lot of stories here that people have heard, Manson and Night Stalker and Black Dahlia and all that, uh, but we're also telling stories that are uh, not so familiar, but they, to Angelinos, they're going to look around and they're going to say, hey, that's right, that's like a half a mile. That's over there. Yeah, exactly. And I uh I was 
doing a story for this book about a serial killer named Louise Pete from from the 1930s and 40s, I believe. And uh, in one of her killings, she buried the head of her victim in the backyard. Uh, and uh, along the way, and as you know, we take we we identify the key sites of all these crimes, and we give you coordinates and and addresses and all of that. I went to the house, and I I talked to the owner, and the owner was only slightly aware that somebody criminal, somebody infamous, had lived in this house, and I told her the story. And she, and I told her the story about the head being buried in the backyard, and she immediately wanted to drag me out in the backyard so that I... I to start digging. <laughs> exactly. So I think that one of the things that I've learned in all of this is that, that a lot of history is hidden. It doesn't matter, but especially crime history, because we kind of whisper about it. Um, you know, sometimes... We don't know. It's literally in our own backyard. So uh, that's part of the fun here. Say, so Howard, you why not? Why can't you talk? Oh, he's come over here. That's <laughs> where Howard hadn't joined in because for some reason, uh, I know I, I know I, I patched his phone in, but for some reason he couldn't do it. So I'm outside by the swimming pool. Uh, you know how we are in L.A. And <laughs> you radio people, you live you live yeah. large. Well, that's that's because, as you know, there's so much money in radio, and so <laughs> much money in being an author that between uh, you and I, uh, we put Bill Gates to shame. Oh well, that's that's true. That's true. Hey, uh, Howard, say hi to Ron Bradshaw. Yeah, I was trying to say hi, but for some reason we we couldn't get this uh, cockamamie thing to work. Ron, how you doing? Hey, Howard, I'm doing great. How are you? Let me check. I'm still alive. <laughs> Is there touching going on there? No. Let me ask you oh. something. So you did you did the uh, the L.A. the outlaw L.A. thing. Uh huh. Does that mean you were here? Yeah, I was. I was. And didn't let us know. Well, you know, that was my bad. I should have, now that I think about it. It would have been terrific to be there poolside with you doing a broadcast. That would have been uh, sensational. It would have been easy. It would have been fun. Even, uh, you know, grabbing a dinner and hanging out. You know, that's how I, I roll, you know. Yeah, that would, so have been, next time, that would have been the bomb, as they say. Yes. But uh, I, so the L.A., the, uh, nothing but stories in L.A. That book oh yeah, it's on every corner. It's on every corner. The book comes out. The book comes out the end of the month, right? It's out now. It came out the end. Oh, of it May. is. Oh. oh, good, 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 good. Okay. Uh, ten so days. Everybody can get it the usual way. I gotta go get it. And uh, yeah, do please do. And it's two. It, it's two formats. So you you, uh, it's pretty much like the other books, except the uh, crimes are much different. And uh, you're dealing with crimes that have been nothing but headlines, and in, in certainly in the Los Angeles area. But most of the stuff that happens in Los Angeles does go nationwide. Uh, yeah, it does. And uh, that's part of the attraction. That's why, you know, a Manson or, uh, you know, a, a Black Dahlia or Wonderland, 
uh, O.J. Simpson, all those, that's why. That's part of why uh, they're big is because you're in the heart of, of media land. Uh, but it, it, Exactly. And it, it, each one in its own way has captured the imagination or uh, maybe the imagination is wrong. Uh, but they say they capture something inside people. And it becomes glue. Uh, it becomes the headline. It becomes, yeah, the, you know, they stop and watch the TV if they're walking by it and the story comes on. It's uh, it's really something. Uh, it really you know, is. When there's, and, a, uh, when, yeah, there's the, a, the, when there's a crime, that, 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 that's why, you know, people that don't live in L.A. get a hold of this book and see exactly how things really unfold here. It's very interesting. Well, we uh, do a whole <laughs> There's a whole chapter in the book just about entertainment-related crimes. Uh, And then in a a more general chapter about the L.A. area, we see other crimes where uh, entertainment plays a role, but they're not uh, entertainment crimes per se. Uh, One of those was... uh, uh, you you you're you're old enough, just barely old enough to remember the Six Million Dollar Man TV show, right? Well, yeah, I'm older than you, so of course I remember it. <laughs> oh, you're not that much older than me. Um, I, anyway, like to, I like to pull rank though. Yeah, the old guy the, is Burl Bear. That's <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, the old guy. Um, well, in 1976, they were down filming an episode on the Pike at the Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, and and the Pike at that time was uh, kind of falling on hard times, and they were doing a lot of things to try to make ends meet, and one of them was allowing these TV guys in. So the TV guys set up in one of their funhouse rides. And it was a ride where people would, where goblins and gremlins would pop up and scare people as they passed. And uh, they were moving some mannequins or some of these goblins around, and one of them, the arm broke off. Mm-hmm. And the, the, when they looked closer, they see that, that there's a bone inside. And they know mannequins don't have bones, so they call the cops. The cops uh, quickly investigate and find out that this is a this is an a mummy and this mummy is nearly a hundred years old and it is the mummy of an old Oklahoma outlaw named Elmer McCurdy and Elmer uh, had been back in Oklahoma in in the early part of the century and he he, he had been embalmed and then went into the sideshow circuit and uh, eventually he made his way to the Pike Amusement Park in their little midway. And then as times got hard, they took his body and used it in the funhouse. <laughs> so, how, 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 back up, how did he die in the first place? He was shot by a posse. He, they had robbed a train. He and his buddies had robbed a train. I think they got a couple jugs of whiskey and about 46 bucks. And then ran. And they weren't very good outlaws, uh, but uh, a posse tracked them down and killed them. Uh, nobody claimed the body, and and uh, the the local undertaker embalmed it and put it out in the front window for people to identify and see. This was common back in those days. And uh, finally, somebody came forward and said, "Oh, 
Elmer is my brother. Well, it turned out it was just one of his outlaw buddies, and they took his body and and sold it into the sideshow circuit, and it made its way from Oklahoma to California, uh, and uh, presumably got into a six million dollar man episode. That is so, that is a bizarre story. It's a bizarre story. How is it that how is it that they identify the body? At that I, point, I don't know. It, it was in the late '70s, so it wasn't DNA. I think that the the, the amusement park had a record of owning, and uh, that, that that they they knew they had owned the mummy, and it had been in their sideshows, uh, and uh, it was a matter of kind of going through the files at the amusement park. Wow. But it they, it did that... indeed to be Elmer, and he was reburied and. I visited his grave in Oklahoma here a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact. Wow. Are you in Oklahoma? No, I'm in Texas. Oh, okay. But I was traveling, and I decided to stop and check it out. So So we have have old and new stories, you know. It's a, a lot of... A lot of Western history fans know that Wyatt Earp lived in L.A. and worked in the film industry for a while. Uh, Did not know that. And he, uh, I, I found his last home. In fact, the home where he died. Uh, and uh, so our history goes way back. In some of these stories, go way back. Um, yeah. They're they're you know they're they're they've passed from the modern consciousness. But at the same time, you know, we're doing Phil Spector and we're doing uh, the, the the Wonderland case, of course, uh, O.J. all those. But uh, so there's I think a good mix. Christopher Dorner, the the deputy who, you know, people on a manhunt here a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite a story. That was quite a story. Uh, we watched that one, uh, you know, commercial free and all, exactly. all the networks. The real reality TV, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or car chases, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you could do a book on car chases, you'd be a rich man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A video book. Turn there you the page, go. Starts. I've got the car chase channel that I'm pitching right now. So. All car <laughs> chases, all the time. If we go live, we go live. Anyway, let me give you back to Burl. It's always a pleasure talking to you, sir, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. And uh, good you luck bet. with the I book. It sounds, this book hours. sounds fantastic. It's fun. It was a fun book. Here, 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 you'll, next time you're coming to town, come on. Here's no, Burl definitely. Bear. Definitely. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> okay, I accidentally hit the mute button, and I'm talking away <laughs> with nothing happening. We've all heard the expression, in like Flynn, but most people <laughs> don't know where that expression comes from. Will you That's please right. explain? Well, uh, it, of course, is is um, related to the great actor Errol Flynn, who uh, had um, quite a reputation and, and uh, was... <laughs> Yeah, handsome guy, and had his pick of probably any females in Hollywood, and maybe maybe America. Um, yeah, yeah, he's got the, the Will Chamberlain of the silver screen. 
I think so, yeah. And uh, among uh, his many conquests was uh, one that was probably ill-advised, and, and he had uh, a dalliance with a couple of teenage girls, uh, twins, I believe. And mm. uh, <laughs> so... So uh, he he faced charges on that. Ultimately, uh, I I think he uh, escaped uh, any any punishment for it, uh, and it's not really known if it uh, hurt his reputation or enlarged it. But uh, <laughs> I don't think it could got any larger. I think that he uh, I think that the the whole phrase "in like Flynn" was about. Um, uh, you know, just how perfect his life was, at least until that point. May, or maybe it happened because of that. <laughs> I don't it, know. I, yeah, I was wondering who coined it first. It had to be someone. For it to be so widespread, it had to be done probably on the radio. It may have been Bob Hope. <laughs> it could be. You know, someone could I, say, then you'll really be it. And he said, yeah, you're like Flynn. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's amazing, uh, you know that that uh, I, I I think he he uh, he faced a statutory rape, but uh, I'd have hey, to. Hey, speaking look. of which, not referring to one of our lives, he noticed that the uh, young lady that uh, Roman Polanski got set up to stoop, that uh, you know he's had this extradition against him back to the United States forever, that the. Uh, the victim or the young lady uh, has been trying to get that extradition against him dropped for decades saying, yeah. no, don't punish him. No, don't punish him. She's now actually taking it to court to try to get the, that, uh, uh, the charges of the extradition against him dropped, which adds more and more credence to uh, the longstanding theory that her mother set it up so they could blackmail him. You know, and uh, as a young reporter, I covered a story exactly like that, where a mother set her daughter up with a celebrity. Might have heard of the country star Johnny Paycheck. Yeah, uh, sure. To, uh, take this he went job. To prison, though, didn't he? And, yeah, he went to prison. Um, he uh, he um, uh, came to a concert, and uh, this mother set up the uh, this this date with her daughter, her young daughter. Uh, and um, and then as soon as it was over, almost as soon as it was over, uh, went to the cops. And then uh, it was a big, big newspaper story that I covered, but uh, it went away very quickly as soon as the girl uh, decided she wasn't going to testify because everybody imagined uh, there'd been some kind of a, a payoff. So yeah. That's a common thing. I think. uh, That's why I always get so concerned, being that I've been a a victim of uh, a false rape charge. I wasn't even there at the time it supposedly took place, but I was a celebrity, and uh, Uh they decided to use my name. And uh, even though there was no legal action, it had an impact on my career because everyone heard the story. It didn't matter the fact that I wasn't even there at the time had never been intimate with that particular human being in my life. And at the time of the so-called incident, I was having dinner with my uh, wife and in-laws. Uh, yeah. But, I you am. know, it's uh, back to the old story. The rabbis tell, take a feather pillow, cut it open, and walk down the street, waving the pillow and watch the feathers fly, and then go back and try to pick them up. 
You know, <laughs> once it's out there, once that those rumors or false stories start, and if it's a celebrity and there's money involved, it's amazing how many people come out of the woodwork. There was one in Canada, uh, was fellow, uh, quite a big celebrity up there, and all of a sudden these women accusing him of uh, of uh, forced sex and all this. Although they said he was always very polite, walking to their car, you know, da 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 da. There was never any violence. You know, well, what the hell is going on here? They all wanted money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because he was famous, and uh, I don't know what the story is going to come out on this Bill Cosby thing. I know he's paid some, uh, you know, people in the past with non-disclosure agreements and all that. And I wonder how many of those are true, and how many of them are motivated by a paycheck—not a Johnny paycheck, but the other kind. <laughs> exactly. Well, and and you know from from uh, your true crime writing and and the time you spend in that muck. That yes. that money is often uh, the most powerful motivator for crime, and uh, people will do a lot of things for money. Uh, people will do a lot of things for sex, uh, mm-hmm. and um, the, the the people who sometimes present as victims aren't quite as innocent as as we as we first see them to be um and that's why investigators have to keep an open mind you know yeah that's really a problem because once they get locked in and they decide they know who did it even if they don't uh i did a deadly sins episode about these battling hookers uh where one murders the other one she cut a deal with the prosecutors she'd only get 10 years if she would implicate and testify against her boyfriend, who got 50 years. My independent investigation of the case, because I found it of interest, revealed a very high probability, because he was the only one whose story never changed by one word from the day one, was that he knew nothing about it, wasn't even there. It was other people, but she got 10 years and he got 50 because she cut a deal to testify against him. And she was a slime ball from hell. You know, so this uh, guy's still sitting in prison. It, it's uh, it, it, we we are exposed to more of those stories, those kinds of stories now, through the internet, through true crime books, uh, true crime TV, um, which proliferates. Uh, of course, I think it's doing nothing more than creating a lot of armchair investigators. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, time something happens. Uh, that has any kind of legal implications. Facebook suddenly sprouts tens oh, of thousands. Oh, my God. If, or hundreds of thousands of lawyers who apparently yeah. just <laughs> from It amazes Facebook. me. Although uh, we had uh, a, a fellow on the show, God, time goes by so quickly, years ago. And uh, he was saying he was he's a prosecutor. He was working on a case. And they're talking about uh, Nancy Grace. And they're talking about the buckets of blood that were in the car. He's going, he's screaming at his TV, buckets of blood, what are you talking about? There are no buckets of blood. But it made for good TV. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, and you remember when they, that poor fellow was accused of being, uh, on television, of being a, a bomber? You know, the oh, security sure. guy? Right. Olympics, and, correct. Yeah. Yep. And there was another fellow who had a heart attack watching the show because he, his name was mentioned as a suspect. 
and he was completely innocent. Well, and I, you know, I don't know who did it, but in the Bob Crane murder, which of course is in this book, um, uh, over over the years, it's it's basically been decided by crime TV and crime books and everybody else that Crane was murdered by his buddy John Carpenter, not not the right. famous Carpenter, but another. Um, the colorblind John Carpenter. Yeah, and that that it was over, you know, uh, their their shared sexual exploits with women that they'd pick up. Um, and and one of the key pieces of evidence was that brain matter was found in Carpenter's rented car years later and determined <laughs> to be uh, cranes. And so, therefore, it, it, it was the as close as they were going to come to a smoking gun. But no mm-hmm. no charge ever filed because they, they 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 couldn't they just couldn't connect the dots. Just recently. DNA testing proved that the the brain matter, the so-called brain matter that was found in Carpenter's car, wasn't cranes at all. It wasn't even brain matter. So it was like a burrito or something. It could have been, you know, it could have been a piece of sausage off a of pizza. You know, we don't know, but yet the media runs with this stuff, and and pretty soon bad evidence becomes gossip becomes rumor, becomes history, becomes a fact, and we just accept it. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of sad how we're that way, especially when we have <laughs> forensic tools at our disposal these days. Yeah, I don't know what was the uh, Art Linkletter's daughter. I don't know if you remember that, uh, that one or not. But No. Uh, Art Linkletter's daughter uh, committed suicide by throwing herself out of a window or a ledge or whatever. And friends of hers were friends of mine, and so I know a little bit more. But the even at the time when the story first came across the wire, quite about like you know, one, two in the morning or midnight or eleven or something like that, when I was on the air, it was that she had killed herself because she was despondent over the breakup of her relationship with her girlfriend. This is a lesbian relationship. Suddenly we get a message, whole story, whole story. By morning, the story is completely changed and that she has committed suicide because she was having an acid flashback. <laughs> Drop the whole lesbian angle and then Art Linkletter spends the rest of his days as a anti-drug champion because acid flashbacks took his daughter when in scientific reality, there's no such thing. Uh, not so, no such thing as a daughter, but no such thing as an acid flashback. If there were, uh, hopefully I would have had one by now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there's an example of how, you know, uh, if you can get ahead of a story, you got a good PR guy, you know, you can spin it, change it. Exactly. And, and I think uh, we're, we're recognizing that more and more. Uh, Hollywood is recognizing it, uh, big business, everybody is recognizing, and there's a whole industry out there on on that. I mean, it, it, we have so many uh, questionable deaths, in, in, particularly in the L.A. area. Look at the death of George Reeves. Um, yeah, they've had movies on that one, too, with uh, Ben Affleck as George Reeves. Exactly. 
And uh, you know, there there are so many of these uh, that we, you know, could benefit, I guess, from a little truth telling. But uh, they also fall into the category of uh, uh, of marketable telling that somebody's going to pick it up. Why we have dozens and dozens and dozens of books about Charles Manson. We're not learning anything new about Charles Manson in these books. We're, we're just getting more stories. We're just getting more books that somebody's, and we're buying them. Um, this, yeah, the only one that found recently that I found uh, of interest is Goodbye, Helter Skelter, where the same uh, concept is being put forward by uh, an author friend of mine, Daniel Simone, in a book he has coming out, which is essentially the same book, <laughs> uh, and that is that uh, Manson was railroaded because Bugliosi knew how to work the media. Oh, uh, well, okay. <laughs> because there was no, think, nothing that... There I want to give no a shout-out to family Wynn's book, all man. That, stuff. Uh, that one, you know, I, at least I think uh, attempted to to not be as exploitive as as many of the others are and i i uh, i but here we go i mean we have manson we we have you know bonnie and clyde we have all kinds of things uh, jack the ripper why are we still writing books about jack the ripper yeah we've um, asked that question many times to jack the ripper authors on our show and uh, one of the questions we ask is this ever going to go away is it nope and see what I thought, and I, I mentioned this on on the air, and the guy corrected me. I said it would seem that the farther we get away from it, the more difficult any research is going to be. This is no exactly the opposite, because of the digitization and all this newspaper articles, interviews, etc., that were done at the time have not been seen and have not been available since then. Now, however. All these old newspapers, et cetera, being dug up, so to speak, digitized and, and are available for research. So there's more access to interviews, first-person you know, stories, et cetera, than we've ever had before. Yeah. Well, and so, uh, yet – That old research angle. You know, uh, I'm I, uh, not against Jack the, telling Jack the Ripper stories, but – I do think we get into an exploitive area, uh, particularly in TV, but uh, but we see it in books. Whether it's a JFK, a new JFK conspiracy book, or um, you know Jack the Ripper, I think we do a little too much of that. Um, As if there aren't enough crimes already, we got to re- keep recycling the super hits. <laughs> exactly. Well, and part of that is is publishing. Part, you know, part of it is publishing doesn't want to hear the the Rodney Alcala story or the, you mm. know, um, the the latest. Well, it's, uh, it's like the author we had on who has a new Jack the Ripper uh, research uh, workout. He says it was the he was the first or the first serial killer to be branded. He was like Campbell Soup, the brand. Yeah. yeah. Well, and look how well it's held up. <laughs> if someone could invent a new zipper, they could call it Jack the Zipper. <laughs> yeah, you should be in marketing. <laughs> yeah, I used to, I used to be before I wised up and got into the very lucrative world of true crime, where the money flows like water. Until yeah, well, well, you're a radio show. 
Oh, that's nonstop money. Howard and I are going to retire just from the income of all our listeners who send us money for the joy of hearing the show. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they could monetize anything. You know, I went to, uh, yeah, to uh, Doctor Drew's Love Line when it was on, and if you wanted to hear the old episodes, you had to pay money. So it was a way of uh, getting a buck and a half off of uh, everything. What's uh, What's next on your agenda? Well, I'm writing a, a another true crime, one of those deeper, darker ones. Uh, maybe after I'm done with that, and I need to let my subconscious clear a little bit. I'll go out, hit the road again for another outlaw book. I am thinking about Chicago. Another oh, there's plenty there. You could do that. The Black Panther uh, make believe gunfight <laughs> that never exactly. happened. Yeah, that's a great one. I happen to be watching one of those forensic shows, and uh, they went back to the scene of the supposed shootout with the Black Panthers in Chicago, and no, uh, the cops just came in and murdered everybody. <laughs> <laughs> they shot first, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. While they were asleep. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, they still had all the bullet holes and the angles, and they could do all that, you know, who shot who from where. Anyway, right. there's no gunfight. But that man is back in the olden days, like 50 years ago, 40 years ago, when we were younger, uh, didn't have that. You could come up with any BS scenario you wanted to on what came down, or like before they had uh, webcams. I'm sure you've seen the footage of the cop who shoots the guy and, uh, and then plants a gun on him. That was a big uh, uh, story a couple of years ago. But, yeah. Well, and, and oh. yeah, we have the technology and we have the forensics. We have, we have uh, a much more militant and aggressive um, watchdog industry. Um, I, you know, now it's harder. Not impossible, but harder. And uh, you know, some yeah. things were easier. It used to be Back easier to create a new identity years exactly. ago. Uh, that was much more difficult. Uh, Pavel Stanimirovic, who uh, I'm working uh, on with a few projects, our pal Punch, the Jim Heist mastermind. After he got arrested, got busted on one of his multi-million-dollar heists, he gives gives him a fake name. And uh, they released him on his personal recognizance because he had no priors under that name and they couldn't read his fingerprints. He was on the run, in quotes, for five years using five different identities because he could speak a variety of languages and pretend to be any nationality. And he just kept right on going, even married a famous fashion model. (laughs) And uh, it took five years before they ever uh, figured out it was him. Well, as you know, my last book was Morgue, Life and De- uh, Life and Death, and it was it was looking at the the most fascinating cases of one of the world's great medical examiners, Vince DeMaio, and we were doing a book event someplace, and and uh, somebody in the audience asked the question, uh, has has the perfect crime ever been committed? And and his answer was probably, but if it was the perfect crime, we don't know. I mean, by right. definition, exactly. We, we never don't know. know. So, uh, well, you know, we had uh, Victoria. What the hell is her last name from the uh, from the UK who wrote the book on poisoning? 
you know, women who uh, people who are poisoned when all that started is when they invented life insurance. Yeah, yeah. You could get life insurance all of a sudden, and they didn't have a test for arsenic in those days. People were murdering their husbands, their wives, their own children, total strangers. They take <laughs> out life insurance policies, bump the person off, and uh, they had money. And there was no way of proving that it was murder. So, uh, but you got to think of the ethics of someone. Oh, gee, I could get money if I kill kill my my husband, my wife, my kids. Gee, I could be rich if I kill all of them. What kind of person thinks like that? Uh, a, a criminal. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you got that right. But there's sure must be a hell of a lot of lady criminals to to put their their teenage child in bed with a celebrity in order to get some money. I mean, that, 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 that's some sick thinking, but. That's well, that's, you know the 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 other side of that coin is my friend Lloyd Swain may he rest in peace was covering the uh, Olympic uh, whatever you call it uh, rehearsals or whatever off in uh, you know Bulgaria or someplace and he wanted to have a a, a driver in a car available all the time so he grabs a taxi and says to the guy listen I'm going to be here for a week how about if I hire you uh, just to be my driver for a week no other clients you just work for me. And uh, how about if I pay a thousand bucks a week, which seemed perfectly reasonable to, to Lloyd, you know? Uh, at that particular time, a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars in that country was like a million. He was able to put his kids through school, send his daughter to college, you know, get a new home, everything off that thousand bucks. So the very last day, he goes to Lloyd. To thank you, you're getting, getting paid the rest of the thousand dollars. He's so teary-eyed and grateful. He says, "Here, have my daughter. He's this gorgeous 16-year-old girl. You know, here, have sex with my daughter. She's so grateful. She could go to college now. <laughs> and she's smiling. Oh yeah, let me do this to show my gratitude." And he goes, "No, no, that's okay. That's okay." Lots <laughs> well, sure of people would have said, "Moral you know, man." Yeah, it's a strange world we live in. Well, listen, it's been a fun hour. Uh, I'm glad we were able to get this show recorded on Blog Talk, and I'll uh, clean it up, and we'll put it up on Outlaw Radio as well. And uh, you'll have double whammy. So thanks for doing the show, and we'll have you on again in your next availability. All right. Tell tell Howard goodbye, and uh, my best wishes to Matt, too. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.